0: Welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CSF As president. It's going to be a short episode today, so I've given Dana, my co-host, some time away from the show. So it's really just you and me. Let's get this thing started. And welcome to another episode of What's Brewing Sisva. Let's start the show off with our normal first cup of whatever you're pouring yourself today. I'm recording this late in the afternoon, so I've already had my one cup out of the Keurig. Extra strong, or I should say strong. I don't know if there's an extra strong setting on it, but I'm sure if there is, one day I will find it. So today is our news day, so we'll have some news. Not a whole lot out there going on right now. It's kind of a quiet season when it comes to the Department of Ed, as we're in the middle of an academic year. The process for the coming year has already been set and it started, and the FAFSA is out there and all the other good stuff. So there's not a whole lot going on yet. But soon enough, there will be. So first news story does come from Federal Student Aid. It's a Electronic announcement they posted just a few days ago on the use of FAFSA data to administer federal programs. And so, this letter, Gen 2202, talks about how when you have FAFSA data, it can be used to help inform students of benefits and opportunities available to them. And primarily, this electronic announcement, or actually, I should say it's a dear colleague letter. Sorry about that. It's a a higher level uh, type of letter coming out from federal student aid. So this is dear colleague letter talks about, you know, how under designations under higher ed act and all that permits institutes, institutions of higher education, like a college like mine and all yours to use FAFSA data to aid in the administration of several federal benefits programs. So off subject from this real quick, And we'll have another talk on this other off subject. There is always a talk about can you release or use federal aid information on your campus for a variety of things. For example, can you literally just have professors point out non-aid applicants to go apply or aid applicants to go complete their files? Is that the proper sharing of data or use it to recruit athletes or such? And most of this I'm just going to say, check with your legal counsel. But when it comes to, you know, federal benefit programs that we can provide information about to students based upon their FAFSA data, these include, and as listed in this Dear Colleague letter, the Child Tax Credit Program, the Recovery Rebate Credit and the Economic Impact Payments, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, or what we used to call food stamps here in California, CalFresh. And the reason for this is all these programs, you know, are based upon numbers like income and household numbers and things like that, things that come out of the FAFSA. So you can, in a sense, target your information about these federal aid programs to students pretty accurately based upon the information you have on a FAFSA. You wouldn't want to send, for example, I'm seeing here, the recovery rebate credit or any economic impact payments. If you're single and made less than $75,000 a year, you may be eligible. You wouldn't want to send it to your students who did the FAFSA and had very high incomes. But you could target it certainly to students who are Pell Grant eligible, meet that income requirement so that they know of other federal programs available. So I'm going to include a link to the letter in our show notes because it is useful. If you're talking to students or plan to get the word out about all the things that could be available to them. And then someday later, we'll talk about what you can't do as far as sharing FAFSA information on your campus. Article out in NASFA, our next story tells us that on Friday last week, the department of ed posted some guidance, notifying us financial aid people that the annual student loan acknowledgement or ASLA, will not be required for loan disbursement. Announcement from the department comes before this ASLA was set to be required for the coming school year. So as it says here, Department of Ed added that the requirement will not be in place for the coming award year or any future years. So schools will continue to receive information about a borrower's annual student loan acknowledgement completion on the website. But loans will not be held up prior to a student's completing of this acknowledgement. So it says here, as such institutions should adjust borrower notifications and make system modifications to reflect that this no longer is a requirement. So, you know, NASFA had, on our behalf of financial aid, people at urged the Department of Ed to remove this completion requirement asserting that it has, quote, the potential to add duplication, complexity, and confusion to the financial aid process where there is already too much of both, unquote. And it really does, in my mind, too. You know, it's a matter of the idea in general. And again, without understanding the un, uh, unexpected intentions or whatever, was, of course, an annual student loan acknowledgement means that I, as a student borrower, before I take another loan, acknowledge my prior loans. Well, there's plenty of other ways to do this without making this a requirement. And again, anytime you do that, that means if you require everyone to do something and they don't do it, then they can't do the next step. And we certainly know with almost any other process in the world, especially when it revolves around the government, That means people are going to forget, say they didn't get the notice. You're going to delay things like getting, again, student loans that are very necessary for many students to continue with their education. And thus, you could be disadvantaging a number or many or high percent, whatever you want to call it, of students. What else is on the NASFA front? We got a few other things here. So this was something new, and this is related to the fact that the IRS has implemented an ID process for individuals to register on the IRS website for IRS services, such as obtaining tax transcripts. So out on the ask regs part of NASFA, they have out there the Q and a, how will the new ID me IRS registration process affect verification? So, you know, starting in the summer, it says here, the ID.me process will require a photo of an identity document, like a driver's license or a passport or such. It will also require a selfie with a smartphone or a computer with a webcam. And this will limit access to the get transcript online service for students or anyone really without such forms of ID or smartphone webcam access. So individuals who already have an IRS login and password, can continue to use those until the ID.me process is fully implemented over the summer. So when fully implemented, if a student or parent is unable to create an ID.me account, they'll need to use the get transcript by mail option or call the 1-800 number if they need to request a tax return transcript or a tax account transcript. And these, again, may come into play because for the coming school year, We are going back to the old days of verification, whereby as a process called verification, we sometimes need copies of tax returns to verify information that's been put on the FAFSA by the parents and or the student. So this does mean that they will need to, you know, fax or email a form, what we call the 4506-T, which is the request for a transcript of tax return. If they want some of these things, like the record of account transcript, uh, copies of W-2s, or if they need, uh, and we do need these sometimes, the verification and non-filing letter for those who are non-filers. So the Department of Ed says here on their little article that they are aware of the issue and is working with the IRS to see if further guidance is necessary, and that we'll get an update out here on the Ask Reg's knowledge base of the NASFA website. So something to keep in mind there. Again, the idea there is the IRS is trying to keep our data more secure. And at the same time could create some log jams for people who may not have the proper identification to sign up in case they need to get transcripts and such. Moving on to what might be if I I have my tabs correct here in my browser, because we read the news live on these Tuesdays. Uh, The last item from NASFA today, that registration is now open for their national and virtual conferences. And these are two distinct things. So if you want to get back to seeing people in person, the national conference will be held in Austin, Texas from June 26th through the 29th this year. And then also they are having their virtual conference held July 11th through the 15th. And it says here, will consist entirely of unique sessions not offered at the in-person conference that will be held a couple weeks before that. Uh, registration will be institutional rather than individual. So for one low cost, your whole roster could, com- you know, participate in the virtual conference. So get guess something to keep in mind there. So it looks like their opening keynote will be David Epstein. So find out more about him and the conference by going to nasfa.org slash conference. So we'll put a link in our notes, show notes, in case you're interested in going to Austin or attending the virtual conference. Last couple news items here before we have some job announcements out there in the financial aid world. (coughs) Our (coughs) article out at forbes.com. Uh, Forbes magazine, I haven't seen one on a newsstand for, well I should say I haven't seen a newsstand for a while uh, but they do some good reporting sometimes related to education in general but article by Jeffrey Salingo um, was a contributor and I know he's written some books about higher education has an article called The Longer the Pandemic Lasts, The Greater Need for Change in Higher Ed And What I like nice about Forbes, just like Wall Street Journal, you could listen to the article, and it tells you the approximate amount of minutes it would take to listen to it. So you have an idea. This one says six minutes. So it's a longer piece, but well worth it. Because he starts off, the author, talking about traveling, you know, uh, the issues that have happened, uh, especially if you did any holiday travel this year, Uh, trying to get around with airline delays, cancellations and stuff. Uh, and then, as he puts here, you he overheard a fellow traveler sum it up this way to her companion. Remind me again why we're flying to this meeting? And so he takes that line into the idea of higher ed. As far as the fact that, yes, higher ed probably has some big changes coming to it. So, you know, as uh, as we hopefully wind our way out of this pandemic, considering that we've got, you know, five plus semesters under covid Some schools gone virtual 100%, some still may be pretty close to 100%. You know, how are we ready to come to grip with, you know, are we going to revisit our historical model of mostly in person? Or are we going to make some kind of hybrid choices? Are we going to go to online? How do we uh, address all the issues that have come out of this? You know, enrollment is down. Some people feel the value of a college education isn't there anymore compared to the cost and the time. A lot of things here mentioned in the article, it's probably a good idea to read on through there, you know, talking about, again, the digital transformation agenda and how we're going to potentially upend how higher ed is and move more things to online. And again, with that, of course, comes its own issues as far as, you know, ensuring that you've got the students doing their own work, completing their classes and such, and... Uh, you know, actually getting something out of their education, you know. Uh, so we'll have to see about that. It looks like a nice article. I read most of it before I got here on the new Got here to do in the news, so definitely check that out. Another article in the same kind of line here, as far as some news that's going on out here. Uh, some news of concern from the Napa Valley Register, uh, titled "Grads Left Behind: Three Point Seven Five Billion Dollars." In free college age in 2021, according to a study here. So, what it notice is a study by the National College Attainment Network, or NCAN. It says here high school graduates are foregoing free money for college by not submitting their financial aid applications. So, according to this, the class of 2021 left behind $3.75 billion in Pell Grant aid by not completing the FAFSA. An estimated 3- 813,000 students were eligible. Or potentially eligible, we should say, for Pell, uh, but did not submit an application for aid. So, you know, uh, Bill Debon, Director of Data and Evaluation at NCAN, says, you know, it's another component of showing how dire the college-going situation is right now in the U.S. And as you read through the article, you'll see, you know, things we've talked about over the last couple months. You know, FAFSA completion rates are declining for whatever reason you know, percentages of students, you know. Now, some state policies have increased FAFSA completion rates. And, in fact, here in California, in just about a year, we'll have that, in fact, affecting uh, our students. Where There's a the new state law, SB something, 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 or AB something, something, something. That, in a sense, requires students who graduate from public high schools to have completed the FAFSA, or for our DREAMer undocumented students, the California DREAM Act application. So we'll see as that rolls through if that truly increases the percentage of students applying for aid. You know, the big thing is, as the article notes, submission of the FAFSA is so very, very key for students to at least apply. As I say to even parents that I work with or talk to, who think they have plenty of money or they earn too much. And thus, is it worth their time? I always say it is. And the reason is, again, the worst case you find out, yes, you are way too rich to receive any kind of financial aid. So, yes, we're not giving away Pell Grant money to people with high six-figure incomes. That's very true. But at least you know. And on top of that, if you then decide you need a federal student loan or a federal Parent loan, you can start the application for those easier once you've done the FAFSA. But at least those are options you now know about. And again, it doesn't hurt because worst case scenarios, you know, where maybe uh, big changes in income occur after you've done the FAFSA. You know, the FAFSA that we're doing for this coming fall came out last year using income from the year before, 2020. So certainly things could have happened in 2021, and the FAFSA doesn't know it. But the financial aid office can take that into consideration and see if they can make adjustments to a student's aid eligibility. So I'll give you a link to this Napa Valley Register article. I assume the rest of everything, as I can see here, according to their top line, you know, as far as news, opinion, sports, and, of course, a direct link to wine. For some of you, that might be useful. You might completely forget about this story. Last of the articles, uh, an article from the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal out there, I think, at one of the UNC schools, North Carolina, is an article titled, Will Your College Degree Be a Good Investment? And this is, of course, something that I've talked about a little bit and is getting talked about a lot more now especially when you're talking about the levels of student debt some students have. But it's interesting how the article starts off. From the 1960s until quite recently, the conventional wisdom in America was that going to college and earning a degree was a very good investment. The time and money that a student puts into it would be repaid very handsomely over his or her lifetime. College debt was called good debt. No need to worry about it. Goes on from there to talk about how, you know, during the Obama administration, how they talked about how everyone really, as an economic imperative and betterment of life, need to go to college, and college could be interpreted as college or post-secondary education, something beyond high school. But, you know, these ideas appear to be collapsing, as the article says. You know, evidence is that one of the biggest cheerleaders, it says here, for increase in educational attainment, the Georgetown Center on Education and the Workforce is now admitting that as of as a recent recent study is entitled more education doesn't always mean more earnings and so there are some interesting examples here they throw out um, and this comes from a different report they have in the middle of this article but says here for example a philosophy de- a philosophy degree from Oberlin College costs a little over $142,000 and graduates 2 years later graduates 2 years later from graduation make an average of about $18,000. says here, at Syracuse University, a bachelor's degree in studio and fine arts costs $137,000 plus. And two years after graduation, students who got one earn a little over $17,000. Now, I will admit some of these might be extreme cases, but it is something to be aware of that sometimes it doesn't always pay off based upon what you're paying for with a given school. And so it's an interesting article. Uh, I suggest you check it out. It comes from the Director of Editorial Content, George Leaf, over at the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. That's all for news. All I've got left are just a couple of job announcements that are out there in the world for those looking to uh, work in financial aid. So in my own district, the Los Angeles Community College District at our Central Aid office, we have a Assistant Financial Aid Systems Specialist position posted. I think we actually have a couple openings here. It's full-time work. It's very similar to many of our uh, people out there who are financial aid technicians. But this is someone who um, goes beyond that and would be more of a systems person, systems specialist, as they say. So this would be things around uh, more computer and IT-related type work. So it pays maybe a little bit more. Uh, But there's uh, at least a vacancy or two at our district and something worthwhile checking into. So if you know people, check out the link that I'll give you. The link I'll have takes you through the Career Center at the NASFA website. Another job here in the state of California, if you're looking to escape the community colleges and want to go to a fun place, I believe this is Back in the olden days, at least I remember, was uh, considered a party school. Cal State University, Chico, is looking for a director of financial aid and scholarships. So full-time work again up in Chico. Uh, Again, I'll give you a link to it. Um, Again, it's only 90 minutes outside the state capital of Sacramento in case you want to drive away from a beautiful town of Chico. Somewhere out there where, you know, outdoor living and all that good stuff is going on. Unlike, uh, you know, being stuck in a big city. So that's open. And then lastly, uh, as you know, a couple episodes or so ago, I talked about how University of Wisconsin and Green Bay, where the Green Bay Packers play. Well, not anymore right now. Not for another few months, I guess. Uh, But we won't talk about that on the show. There's another opening in my great state of Wisconsin. The University of Wisconsin Stout, which is actually in the city of Menominee, Wisconsin. As an opening for a Director of Financial Aid and Student Employment. So, pretty standard list in here. But if you're interested in uh, moving on out to Wisconsin, where the air is uh, clear, the grass is green, and when it snows, it snows. If you saw the end of the uh, game over the weekend, the football game, and towards the third and fourth quarter, you saw what it looks like when snow just comes upon you in Wisconsin. So, I'll give you a link to that also. In the show notes Well I don't have much else to give you So I'm not going to give you a second cup Sorry everyone fill up on your own But we will move on through to the end of the show I don't really have any I dare you twos today But maybe we'll have some extra I dare you twos Come The Friday show where I'll hopefully have Dana back here to record With me That's all we have time for today but don't worry There's always more episodes coming at you I want to thank you for joining me on the show today. Don't forget to email me at wbcspu at gmail.com if you have topics you want us to cover on the show. This has been episode number 156, recorded Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Everybody, have a great day and have a great week.